Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. I'm Rachel Bernstein, an educator, therapist, and mom, and the author of Now I Know. Now I Know, Kids Talking to Kids About Divorce, is a -a one-of-a-kind children's book narrated entirely from the perspective of kids. Free from exclusivity, Now I Know focuses on how kids feel when their parents get divorced and provides guidance for the parents as well. In this book, kids ask kids questions and help each other find answers, work on accepting their own feelings, and learn that they're allowed to process and progress at their own speed. Parents also in this book have no gender, and the illustrations are indicative of a universality where the only important aspects are the kids themselves full of helpful and accessible activities like a journal, a place to draw, and a one-year reflection. Now I Know is a self-contained educational and emotional resource. Hi, everyone. Today on the show, I have Emily who contacted me to be able to tell her story, and I'm so happy she did. Emily is a former member of a church called C3. She was in C3 NYC. It's all over the world, and she was involved in New York City, where she endured three years of pastoral abuse. Her account at C3 Church Watch on Instagram, was created in June of 2020 as an effort to stop the harassment she was experiencing, and she has experienced a lot of it. She did not think anyone but her pastor would notice it, but soon found herself with plenty of followers and supporters privately and publicly citing harm or abuse from C3 churches all over the world. Her church and the Philadelphia location responded by conducting a smear campaign which doesn't surprise me, that happens to so many people who come forward with their stories, telling members to block the account. And they hunted down account supporters and sent Emily a false legal threat that was rescinded when a journalist became involved. Following along with a larger movement and with a prior background in cult recovery, Emily quickly saw the need for those exiting toxic evangelical spaces to understand what happened to them and where to go to safely process their experiences. She operates her account today to document her own journey. She gathers articles and investigations involving C3 and holds space for those wanting to share their story publicly or privately. She offers resources, helps people find appropriate therapy, and speaks with families and friends of current members. All of that is awesome. And I am so happy that you're going to get to hear from Emily today. She is someone who has a very unassuming style, but is really a powerhouse and is doing so much good. Here she is. very happy to welcome Emily to the show today. 
Emily, I want you to be able to introduce yourself. And I'm so happy that you are making the rounds, as they say, right? You're wanting to get the story out. And that's a wonderful thing. So I would love for our listeners to get a chance to hear about what you want to talk about. I've done a lot of research into this particular group that you're going to be talking about. And so I have my impressions as well. But you can speak from your perspective on on a personal level. And also maybe to go over some things you might not have had a chance to cover yet in other interviews if people have heard you in other places. I've had the experience a lot of time where people are are interviewed by me and then they contact me afterwards and say, oh, I forgot to say this. And then there was this story and whoops. So anything that, you know, that you feel like has been sort of left unsaid, you're welcome to jump in. So Emily, go for it and introduce who you are and what you're going to be talking about today. Hi, I am Emily. I host an account called C3 Church Watch on Instagram. Um, so I'm talking about C3 Church, which is a mega church, very similar to Hillsong. Today, I just I'd like to touch on just like the mega church culture. I'm always curious about the names of groups, and of course, when I think of C3, I think of 501C3. But because there's been such financial mishandling in this group, I thought, well, that's an irony beyond irony. So tell me about the name of it, if you can. Yeah, C3. You're not the first person to bring that up, actually. (laughs) But they are actually based out of Sydney, along with Hillsong. They're very close together over there. It used to be called Christian City Church, so C3. They try to make the churches, you know, appear progressive, but they have really conservative, outdated, you know, oftentimes harmful beliefs that they're not really disclosing. Um, They're marketing a lot on Instagram, which is why I'm on Instagram, even though I don't really have like a really great grasp of the platform and being an influencer, but like, I'm just one of the voices. Like one of the biggest controversies is their LGBTQ beliefs. They're very intentionally vague around that, but um, some of the churches will say, you know, we we believe in traditional marriage, but the real beliefs go far beyond that. If you find yourself being asked to be in a leadership position, but if you ever come out as being queer, you have to step down no matter how good you are at that position. You're not allowed to be involved in kids like on any level. Oh, no. Which speaks to like how they're really viewing LGBTQ. Like that's the one area where you're not involved at all. I think that's horrible. I never knew about these beliefs at all. And I did try to ask when I was there, I was given different answers from different leaders. So I think everyone was just generally confused. And I think that was on purpose. Oftentimes, I think that's a good insight. It is on purpose. So you can say exactly like you're saying, well, it was vague. Well, I don't know. And, you know, they said different things. But, you know, in those kinds of situations, you look not so much for talking the talk, but walking the walk. So what are the things that they have in, put in place as guidelines and how do they behave around them and like not letting people who, who identify as LGBTQ plus to be working with children? I mean, that, oh, you know, it makes my skin crawl actually when I hear things like that. But okay, so it sounds like there are a lot of things and like you're saying that are left vague. I'm, I'm wondering about your experience. So you were involved growing up or did you get involved later on? 
I got involved um, when I was 32. And I do have an experience of being in a cult prior. It was actually one of the 12-step programs that went rogue that you've covered before. And it was a very abusive program, very similar to the teen treatment centers, but it was like a 12-step thing. So I was coming off of that. (laughs) And my abuser that came to the church was my sponsor. He was like a major leader within the 12-step group that I was in. So I was absolutely terrified of this person. She made a threatening gesture towards me. Um, This was during um, one of their women's conferences. So I... I, I ran out of the building and I, I notified the lead pastor, the female lead pastor. She seemed concerned at first and she wanted to meet with me. So I was like, well, okay, that's cool. Like this is going in a good direction. I had been at C3 for a month and I was having a good time. And I was like, okay, everything seems to be fine here. But then she never got back with me. Church leaders were like, just come to church, you know, like what's the big deal? Um, you're fine. And I just wanted to know like, if this person came back, was I going to be safe? That's all I wanted to know. And they couldn't answer that. And I kept getting just like weirdly ignored and being told that I was bothering the lead pastors. And I'm like, well, they asked a meeting with me and like they were interested. So like, what's going on? And it, it just really messed with the trauma that I already had. So, you know, that got a little messy. And basically just made out to be like this huge problem and that just kept continuing and spiraling for the next two years um I was placed in this pastoral care with this um, associate pastor that I didn't want um but I I felt like I I had to do this in order to make this situation go away and just be like a normal member again but What they really didn't like was that I wasn't backing down. I really wanted to feel safe. And I kept asking, why is this so hard? You know, why don't you just have a domestic violence protocol? I was giving them resources that they just rejected. And the pastoral care that I was given was basically, it was a lot of tearing me down. But the main focus was on trying to get me to see the lead pastors as wonderful, faultless people and that any disagreement and conflict that had happened was entirely my fault, which is a terrible way to treat like a former cult survivor, like a former abuse survivor. Yeah. And it's a terrible way to treat anyone. Right. But especially, you know, someone who's been in another situation, I think as yes, I've talked about on the podcast, the problem with some, some, not all, some 12 step programs is that it falls back on you. And what do you need to do differently? And, you know, there's a lot of blame, self-blame. And so to have that in this church that you were going to, I think for some healing and to then be open to what they're saying, but still, I want to say still wounded, like the wound hadn't healed yet. So you're getting wounded again, which is going to be so much more painful, like out of the frying pan into the fire. And so where is there a place that's going to be safe? You know, at that point, sometimes people start to feel less hopeful about finding a place that's going to make them feel good and safe. Is that how you were feeling? Yeah, I think something that scared me the most was that I'm someone who knew the red flags. Like I had been through ICSA support groups. I saw the red flags and I just kept doubting myself. 
Okay, so I just want to explain to people listening what you were just saying that ICSA groups, ICSA's International Cultic Studies Association, and that you're involved in groups connected to that organization or sponsored by or offered by. But how interesting that even with the education, really what it came down to was you doubting yourself so that you were seeing the red flags. But what would happen then when you saw them? How did the self doubt, this is fascinating to me, how did the self doubt? get in the way of you being able to have these aha moments, like, ah, there's a danger and ah, there's a danger. I think with some narratives that I was around being told, well, am I just seeing things because I'm traumatized or is this really happening? Uh, Because they were like, they were so nice, you know, in in what they were doing. It was just really confusing. (laughs) I think that puts a lot of people off is that you know, they're abusing people with a smile on their face. Ooh, right. Everyone has had moments where they've gone out with people or gotten together with people and everyone seems so pleasant and their hugs and smiles. But at the end or after you leave, you're thinking something happened, you know, I'm not feeling so confident about myself suddenly or, and you realize there were these digs and you realize things were happening that were happening behind the smiles or trying to be hidden by the smiles. Fascinating. So here, you didn't notice the red flags. And so tell me now in retrospect, what were the red flags? The lead pastor saying, I wouldn't have PTSD if I had just forgiven her for not meeting with her. Oh, wow. Back on you, right? Yeah. You just didn't react the way you reacted, which means that she could do whatever she wants. Yeah. And trying to avoid my need for safety and trying to put it back on me that I was just this bad person. And at the same time, you know, there were other leaders who were brought in to reinforce this idea that I wasn't doing the right thing. And when you have all these people, you know, saying the same thing and I just have myself, that's hard. It's hard enough to feel outnumbered, but especially by people who are in positions of authority, because then who do you go to? Who are the people who would be safe to talk to? Then you lose that possibility, I think, of knowing that that pastor didn't get it, but this other pastor does. Well, no, it seems like none of them were able to hear you and then do what ultimately they needed to do to help ensure more of your safety. I'm wondering about how they treated people who are LGBTQ+. What are some other of the harmful beliefs beyond also the mental health stigma? They believe that you can pray away mental illness, um, especially anxiety and depression. So there was this um, big Australian investigation into C3 a few years ago, and someone was interviewed who stated that my pastor, when he was still living in Sydney, tried to perform an exorcism on her and locked her in a room against her will because she had schizophrenia and he was trying to exercise the demons out of her. She suffered a lot of religious trauma from that. And I'm just, I'm like so angry, like, okay, now he's here. And he did this like sort of a similar thing with me. That was a lot. And that girl ended up um, actually committing suicide last December due to the religious trauma. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's what really got me wanting to speak out more than through Instagram. This is people's lives on the line. Yeah. And also, it sounds like she was kept from, potentially, 
from getting the help that she really needed in order to feel settled in her system, psychologically, chemically, and instead was made to feel that she had some entity inside of her that was going to be exercised out, which was never going to work because that wasn't the problem. Yeah. Like I felt suicidal several different times throughout the church and they had actually, even with aligning with to write love on her arms, even after that, like when I said, you're harming me and I'm not feeling safe in myself, like I feel like I want to in my life. They completely ignored me several different times. They never stopped what they were doing. They just kept adding on and they kept tearing me down, telling me that I was entitled and demanding and they slandered me all over the church. And at this point, you know, with my account, they've slandered me like all over the country with um, with pastors, possibly in the UK, because I'm covering a big situation that happened out there. These aren't very caring people. <laughs> They're very self-protective people. Wow. It seems like they, not unlike other groups similar to it, rely on people not telling the stories so that they can continue doing what they're doing and they can continue kind of snowing the people in the group and the public. But when they have someone like you who comes across as strong and bright and who also has learned about mind control, so you now Mm -hmm. can see so much uh, that's now really working in your favor and also is helping to do a lot of education and prevention. So then people can't ignore it anymore. And that makes them clearly worry, but it is time to take responsibility. At some point, you know, like when does, like, how can you say that you're here to care for people and your response to those that have said that they've been harmed is to just block them on social media, have people isolated. Like when someone, especially if a leader leaves one of these churches, they're often left without any friends, you know, even if they don't speak out, but especially if they do. So I'm wondering a couple of things. One, just for people to know, but there have been exposés, news stories about this group. So what you're saying has been substantiated over and over and there's video and, you know, there's a lot, but I wonder, you were saying that you had this, calling it a domestic violence situation. So what happened with that? So here, this person follows you into the church. And then you go to report to the pastors that you're in this situation and you need their help. Did they say they would help and they just didn't? Or what did they say? Yeah, they said, we'll meet with you. And then that was a lead pastor who said, yeah, let's meet up. And then she never did. And then just like consistently along the way over the next several years, there would misses that something would be done if I just did what they said. And I mean, nothing ever happened. I think they just wanted me to be quiet and just put the blame all on myself. But yeah, three years of very consistently asking for a domestic violence protocol. What happened? Is it okay if I ask what happened in terms of your safety? Nothing. Um, I mean, I've been followed. Like I get followed randomly, but then I, I moved to Philadelphia. So like, it's not really a problem. Like that leader of mine, she she also moved. So there's not a problem anymore. But yeah, I was randomly followed through the streets. Um, like not anything that would be noticeable to anyone else, but like I knew what was going on. Um, there was a little bit of 
female harassment, not something big at that point. It was, it used to be bigger, like when I first left, but just seeing her, I was like, oh my God, I was, I was so afraid she was going to attack me. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was this intimidation, right? Yeah. You were being followed and you knew you were being followed. It's hard because a lot of people coming out of these situations think they're going to sound paranoid. And sometimes people are paranoid, but for good reason. But there are a lot of groups that will send people out to follow other people or won't protect them from people who are stalking them and, you know, like in your situation and who are trying to potentially do them harm. I know I've been followed and harassed. And, you know, I think most people listening already know that, but you know it, you know, the car parked in front of your house with the darkened windows, right? Is not someone just visiting your neighbor (laughs) because they're there every day. And when you leave the house, they leave your house. So it can't just be a coincidence. I think it was a bit exaggerated in my situation because I went to Meadowhaven like right after I left. So they kind of saw that as me being some kind of um, whistleblower. Really? Yeah. While you were going, you were just going to get some help, some treatment. Yeah. They tried to actually kick me out of Meadowhaven. <laughs> who tried to kick you out? My, um, my, my sponsor yeah, sent an email to the pardons. It's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. That was never going to work. Oh no. You know? It only helped my case. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, oh yes. The pardons got a much clearer picture. Of what was really going yeah. on from that? Yeah. Uh, wow. But look at that. So she was really frightened. And what did she think you were going to be doing? And then what was going to happen to her? I mean, why did she want you to not be in that program? I honestly can't say. I, I have no idea. Maybe they thought that I was going to go to a bunch of journalists and they were just afraid that this was going to become like a big thing. I was really afraid of them. I wasn't going to go speak to the media about them. Right. I think, you know, sometimes people are afraid when others go to therapy, whether they're worried about them going to the media or not, they're just worried that they're going to share what really happened because that's what you do with a therapist and that's what you do in group therapy and that's what you do in places like the ones that pardons run. And so that in and of itself can feel threatening to people who want you to keep their behavior secret. So even if you're not going to shout it from the mountaintops, still, you're going to be talking about what happened. And how interesting that, you know, they went to, well, she went to that trouble to get you kicked out. So I wonder about, you know, hearing a little bit more about the church and some of the things that you're recalling, some of the things that happened, some of the beliefs that were really troublesome. And also if there's anything that has kind of stayed with you, because sometimes these experiences have kind of a hangover effect. And I'm just wondering how you're doing. So maybe a little bit more about the the beliefs or the teachings or behaviors and then how you're doing now. So I went in there as an atheist and I was just like open-minded. I mainly went to find friends, you know. So I was looking at their Instagram page and seeing a bunch of happy people. Everyone seemed like friends with each other. And I was looking for friends after my experience. Um, Like I didn't really know anyone in the city anymore. So I had a a bad experience with church growing up. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this again and see like what experience I should have had. Um, (laughs) So um, 
Yes. So I didn't really have any real hold of what they were teaching. Um, like even just the basic grasp of Christianity, that's just standard stuff. I was, I was trying to believe, but you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't really work for me. And so it wasn't hard for me to just go back to just saying like, maybe there's some energy in the universe, but I don't really believe in Christianity that much. Okay. So then when you went to C3, then what happened? Did they make you feel differently about God or make you fear God? I didn't fear God. I feared not belonging in the community, I guess, which is kind of weird. It's weird, you know, because I I think what this group does really well in a place like New York City is prey on people's isolation. They offer a place to go. And like I had a really demanding job, so I, I needed social structure. I don't know. I got in this mind space, like, if this doesn't work out here, I don't have anywhere else to go. Generally, I like the people there, like, outside of, you know, the staff and the leaders with the conflict that was going on. But everyone else was, like, cool. And um, I wanted, I tried to get to know them. I tried listening to, like, what they had to say. I, I wasn't dissing anything that they were saying. I was genuinely interested um, seeing if this was a route that I wanted to go in. Yeah, I didn't know like all the rest of the stuff that was going on with being very, very conservative, anti-choice with abortions. Uh, <laughs> a church um, in San Diego that is now um, a QAnon cult, <laughs> like really extreme, being anti-critical race theory, doing a lot of optical allyship with the Black community. Just like stuff that is just like, it's really gross. And I mean, there's always room for everyone to acknowledge that they make mistakes with some of this stuff. Like everyone's learning, but that is something else. That's it's very intentional. It's for money at the end of the day and influence. Wow. Okay. And so what about their money and what about their influence? What did you come to learn about them? It's very prosperity based. The one thing I did know going into this church was that the only articles out at the time were from this blog pointing out that they were financially manipulating people. And like, that's all I knew that was going wrong with this church. So I was like, well, okay, I'm just not going to give them any money and just see like what was going on for myself. And I did see weird messages. Like um, it's very prosperity gospel based, but it's subtle. It's correlating your belief in God with how much money you're giving to them and also sending out these messages like I I really needed money or this job and I I donated I donated to the church and then a few days later I got a check in the mail or the job of my dreams and I'm so happy now in New York City uh-huh. a lot of manipulation going on there there's people who are in debt from this church people who are giving their very last dollars who are finding themselves in bad financial situations and like the church offers no help. And what, what do they tell people who are saying, I don't have any more to give? I'm not really sure. There's some brochures going around saying that, you know, if you have debt, you should consider tithing to be a priority over the debt. Wow. Wow. Okay. So just keep giving more of the money that you don't have. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I never quite understood that, but right. I mean, then 
what you have in these kinds of churches is, I almost hate to call them churches, but that is what they are. That's what they call themselves. Then you have this huge disparity, typically, between how the leaders live and how the followers live. And so is that explained in some way or how are the leaders living? They're living very well. A lot of really nice uh, houses, sometimes mansions like Phil Pringle, you know, big mansion in Sydney. C3 NYC leaders, they have a condo in a really wealthy neighborhood. They send their kids to private schools. They get all these tax deductions and freebies just for being pastors and associated with C3, like their phones and everything. Like they're living very, very nicely (laughs) on other people's money. They take a lot of vacations. A lot of times it's attached to where they're preaching. They get flown all over the world on someone else's dime. Just you preach a message and then they hang out for like a, a week or two or whatever in really exotic locations. At the end of the day, it's just a sad system for everyone. I think, you know, up to the lead pastors, even they're victims who become perpetrators. And even if they were to speak out or just leave the system quietly, they would lose everything. It's sad. I think some empathy is required, but I know that for myself, I'm pretty angry. My focus is on bringing some accountability, even if it's just on my page where other people can see of what's going on. I'm most likely never going to hear from these pastors, but other people are going to see what's going on and they're going to know like where to go. Right. So when you think about your anger about the group, is there anything else that comes to mind that you want people to know about? I guess just how much time I spent trying to win approval of people who I never, in a church that I never wanted to be a part of, had I known what they really were. Know. Right. I'm angry about all the compounded trauma that I have to deal with. And for what? I don't share any of their beliefs. And they weren't transparent with me at all. They're not transparent with very many people. I think it is very powerful when you say, and for what? Because you want there to be something that you've gotten from the time, the, the heartache. Some of what you have gotten, though, I think is this that you now can be a resource and that you can share and you can help people feel that they have a voice. Sometimes people don't want to be the first one to say something about their experiences. So they're waiting for somebody else and you can be that somebody else. What I think just to go back to something that you said that I I find so interesting that happens in some groups more than others is this idea of wanting to be included and wanting to be liked. That says something to me about there being kind of an either an inner circle or a hierarchy that you want to be invited to like the cool party. And that when that's sort of set up in a system, I feel like it shouldn't be in a spiritual community. But it says something about how, you know, you're considered, I don't know, somehow better if you're liked by certain people. Yeah, there's definitely a you're in or you're out kind of system. Uh, Some churches are a lot more obvious about that than others. C3 NYC, they're very love bombing, but other locations I've heard that they they just don't pay attention to you at all. Oh, okay. I don't know what's worse, (laughs) right? You want it to be somewhere in the middle where you get the attention just for having shown up, 
but it's not love bombing and then it's not ignoring, but it's just sort of being natural with you and normal socially. Um, where can people find you on Instagram and wherever else? Right now, I'm just at C3 Church Watch on Instagram. And I'm around if people uh, want to share a story publicly or privately, um, if they want resources on religious trauma therapies or, you know, follow different accounts where people may be dealing with the same sort of things, just sort of get into like a little community, um, have some friend support. I'm not an expert and I never want to be seen as an expert, but I'll, I'm definitely around to be a friend to people, um, find any resources that they may need. It's really wonderful. It's really wonderful. And do you know how many people have been involved in this church or what numbers we're talking about? How many people are affected by it? All I know is that there's 550 churches worldwide. Oh, It's a lot bigger than Hillsong, actually. Yeah. And they have about 100,000 people worldwide. 100,000 people? Yeah. Oh, oh my. I'm so glad that you have this site. Uh, because if you had an experience like this, right, we just think statistically, I think that that means there's a number of other people who are going to want to connect. I get stories from all over the world. It's insane. Okay. I'm so glad you're talking about this today. Okay. So I wish you well. And I hope that, you know, from here on in, it will be smoother sailing and there won't be anything else or anyone else who compounds your trauma any further and uh, instead helps you in your healing and empowerment and feeling kind of settled inside and feeling safe in this world. And thank you for letting that be possible through your work for other people as well. So wonderful to talk to you today. And this was very interesting. Very happy to have you educate the public about it. Thank you for having me. One more thing before you go. I want to thank Emily so much for coming on the show, for letting me know that she wanted to talk about her experiences in the C3 church. And also, it was more than just about that, as it usually is. It was about what happens when you go from one bad situation to another bad situation to another bad situation. And then even when you're going to get help, Those bad situations follow you there. You're still harassed. People are still quite after you and wanting to keep you from sharing the secrets and sharing the things that are revealing the things that they've done to you. And somehow you still have to live in fear. So by Emily coming on the show, one of the things she was saying is, I am not going to play by this game of silence anymore. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to give other people that power. When you have a domestic violence situation and then abusive 12-step program with an abusive sponsor and then go into a church that turns out to be very different than it is promising to be with things happening that should never be happening, And then you go for help and the people at the community where you're getting help are 
told about you, kind of warned about you being this terrible person, it is very hard. It's very hard to feel like you're ever going to be free from this. But you actually can get free from this when you notice what makes you not notice. What makes you not notice and not hone in on the red flags when they come up? Now, that doesn't mean that there are red flags, there are bad things, there are warning signs in every situation and in every relationship. But when you find that you've gone from out of the frying pan into the fire and then (laughs) into another frying pan, then you want to look at why that is and what you're drawn to and also what you're not seeing and why you're not seeing it. One of the reasons that we don't see what we are needing to see or we ignore what we're actually subconsciously taking in that's negative, that is a warning sign, is because we don't want it to be true, especially if we've left a bad situation and we're using this to help us feel healed and to help us feel better and to help us take a good turn in our lives. We don't want it to be bad. We don't want to know that we've put ourselves in a bad situation again. So we delay having full awareness because for lack of a better term, it's just a drag. And so we hope that we're wrong. But after a while, you can't ignore. You can't ignore how much evidence is presented to you overtly, covertly. One of the things that she talked about was that she didn't notice the warning signs because they were so nice. The people in the church were so nice. So she kept doubting herself. It makes perfect sense. When people smile at you, though, as she said, and abuse you with a smile on their face, you notice the smile. You don't necessarily have the abuse register as much as it should. I sometimes want to encourage people to just hear the words and ignore the visuals. Or, at times, to notice the actions and ignore the words. Meaning, if you just listen to the words and ignore the visuals, that's in a situation where someone is so welcoming and kind and effusive and they want to hug you and they're smiling like they really love you and they're looking like they really care. But at the same time, you leave that interaction feeling a little bad about yourself and you just don't know why. And that's because something was said that was off-putting to you or was an insult. But you were distracted by kind of the hopefulness of this space being safe that was conveyed through that smile and through that caring look in that person's eyes. So if you're distracted by the visuals, then ignore the visuals and just listen to the words. Replay the script as you walk away. And that will tell you how that person really feels, how they feel about you, and what this group is sort of up to, and what you're in store for. And in other situations where people might not be so smiley, etc., you want to ignore the things that they're saying if they're saying all positive things, but you're still feeling uncomfortable. And even after them saying lovely and complimentary things and things that really resonate with you, there's still something off 
because you don't feel safe, because you feel judged or because you feel controlled or because you suddenly feel fearful and you're not sure why, or you're suddenly feeling like you're not good enough or you're just not enough. And that can happen in relationships, that can happen in cultic groups. And so that's when you move away from the talk and focus on the walk. How are people behaving? What are they doing? How is this organization run? And that matters more than the lovely compliment they're giving you. If how people are behaving doesn't match how you're feeling, then that means that there are warning signs you're picking up on that you need to find a way to focus on. And so if you can imagine making the background in shadow and just focusing in on your what you want to have be your focal point or what you need to have be your focal point, find a way to ignore the things that you know actually have made you ignore the warning signs in the past and that might be happening again now. I want to make sure that people also will use as a warning sign something that Emily talked about here. When people get involved in some religious organizations, there is this idea that you can pray away things that you can't pray away, that you can pray away mental illness in this group, or that in some groups you can pray away the gay. And of course, there's so much wrong with that because that's making this statement and assumption that there's something wrong with being gay. And it's making a statement and assumption that there's something wrong with having mental illness. These are all states of being. That just means that you're a human being and all the varieties that human beings come in. And whether you're an atheist or you're a believer in God, the idea, the theology behind God is that God created human beings in God's image. So ultimately, how could there be something wrong with the way a human being is? So I think the other danger, though, about praying away anything is that then it delays two things. It delays you getting help for the things in a real way that you need to get help for. Like if you're suffering from depression or if you're having delusional thinking, if you're really needing therapy, if you're really needing medication, you won't get it. It will be kept from you while you're busy praying and praying more and trying to pray harder and trying to take on a different prayer and do it just the right way so that somehow you'll feel relief, which to a great degree won't come if you really do have something in your wiring, if you really do have a chemical that's released in your system. While prayer, if you believe in prayer, can be very calming, and it can help some people alleviate feelings of anxiety, it's still not a cure-all. But when it is offered to you as a cure-all, and it doesn't cure you, the attention comes back to you as the culprit, that you haven't done it just right. So then on top of feeling depressed, you now have to blame yourself for your depression? I mean, why have to take on an extra burden and how unfair it is for people to give you that extra weight to carry? 
But also, if you're told that you can pray away the gay or pray away being trans or pray away anything, again, it's saying you need to get rid of this. And God says you need to get rid of this, which, of course, I don't agree with. And what you delay then is self-acceptance and making sure that you find yourself in a new environment where you're surrounded by acceptance. That's, if you're going to think about what you want to pray for, if you're going to pray, that's what I hope you pray for. Not to get rid of what you have or what you are, but to pray or hope or wish or whatever you do to be able to be surrounded by people who say, I see you and I accept you and you are just fine. And if you need help with something, I'll be here for you. But I'm not going to make you feel bad about who you are. Most people don't get to enjoy that within their religious communities, and it is truly a shame. Some do, but many don't. And so be cautious when somebody says that you need to pray away who you are, but they still smile at you and hug you because what they're saying is, I'm going to pretend to love you and to care about you and to accept you and welcome you, while at the same time giving you a very clear message that I don't accept you as you are. I don't welcome you as you are. I don't love you as you are. And that matters more. When people abuse you with a smile, I see it visually like they have pulled you in and they're holding you and hugging you and getting you closer to them just so they can slap you across the face, but you don't notice it right away or it doesn't hurt right away because you're so happy to have someone's arms around you and you're so happy to have someone smiling at you. I understand wanting to delay really seeing what's in front of you, but know that it's not your only choice. You don't have to stay stuck in these situations. There are many other situations to find yourself in where you will be just fine and be seen as just fine. And people will mean what they say and say what they mean. And they will walk the walk along with talking the talk. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash Indoctrination.